This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. It's time for Speak Legal, conversations with Community Law Otago, made with the support of Law Faculty, University of Otago. Alicia De Bruin joins us for today's edition of Speak Legal. We're going to be looking at enduring power of attorney. Uh, Morena, lovely to have you with us. Alicia, thanks for coming in. Well, thank you for having me. Most of us uh, know that it's a good idea to get a will in place. Yes. Not everybody does it in a timely <laughs> fashion, but we've talked a bit about wills before on this mm-hmm. spot. But uh, hand in hand with that goes enduring power of attorney. So let's start this discussion perhaps with telling us a little bit more about what they are. Yeah, so enduring power of attorneys um, are often shortened off to EPOAs or EPAs. Um, They come into force when the donor has become mentally incapable of managing their own affairs. Um, So... And giving someone an, a, that kind of power is a way of making sure that someone you trust uh, knows and knows you will make the decisions, um, make good decisions in your favour that um, when you can't make those decisions for yourself. And that's really when you know when you've had a serious head injury, um, a disease or a mental illness or you just get very old. All right. Now, yeah. now there are two types of enduring power of attorney. Yes, there are. There, so there's a power um, attorney for property and attorney for personal care and welfare. Um, they can be the same person or two different people. So let's look at uh, the attorney for property first. Yes. So your, so you can choose when the power can be used for this one. So it doesn't have to come into play strictly after you've lost mental capacity. It can come in before. Um, you can also appoint more than one person for this particular um, position. So you can have multiple um, attorneys for property uh, and they can act jointly or severally, so together or independently. Um, and if they act independently, they have to have different responsibilities. Uh, so the best way to explain it is, say, your sister may be the attorney, attorney for your bank accounts and your daughter might be responsible for your car, your son might be responsible for your house. Um you can give restricted powers as well for that attorney or those attorneys. Um, For example, you might appoint an attorney for the event that you become incapacitated. They will have the powers um, in relation to, you know, your car or your house, but nothing else. All right, so that can... That can get a bit complex, can't it? It's probably more common just to have one or two people appointed, I guess, for your uh, attorney for your property. All right, let's look at the other side of it, the equation, which is for your personal care and welfare. Yeah, so these powers, unlike the um, property attorney, they can only be exercised once you become incapacitated and you can only have one person um, appointed for this responsibility. And a welfare guardian is who, essentially what they're called. Um, They will have all of the powers that are reasonably required to promote and protect the welfare and the best interests of you or the person. Um, And there are limits to their powers as well. Uh, And that the limits are, you know, they can't make, they don't have the power to make any decision relating to you entering or leaving a marriage. Uh, They can't make the decision relating to adopting a a person's child. They can't refuse to give consent to life-saving medical treatment unless that's specified in some form of um, direct direction. Um, They can't consent to a person being part of a medical experiment either. Uh, so that person and this person will also not be given any power over your property or funds, which is why it's usually two people for power of attorney and then a power of welfare. 
Um, so often they have to work really closely with the property attorney um, and they are required to consult each other regularly if you have two when you have two people so not just that they ha- can they have to yeah because yeah, you can see there will, could potentially be a bit of crossover someone mm-hmm. might need some medical care and attention it might require a placement in a certain place it might require some funds to be spent to make things happen in terms exactly. of your care yeah all right yes Okay, sounds like a sensible thing to do. We want to make sure that good decisions are made when Mm -hmm. we can't make them for ourselves. Let's talk about the appointment process. Right, so... Um, as well as like the separate requirements that we've just discussed, all of the attorneys must be at least 20 years old, they can't be bankrupt, and they have to have mental capacity. Uh, A great deal of care should be taken when choosing your attorney. As we've discussed, they can have a lot of power over your life. Uh, So it's really crucial that this attorney is trustworthy and that you are confident that they are they, they will always act in your best interest. Um, and you should feel sure that the attorney would make the decisions reflecting your own views. So not just their, not their personal views, but they know you. Um, and just a warning, be careful. I'm not trying to scare you, but there have been cases that even children um, abusing these powers and controlling their parents' medical access and property after the person becomes mentally incapable. Um, so if you have, but if you have any of those worries or issues, you can come to speak to someone here at, at the community law centre or at Age Concern. They're great, great bunch of people there. They're really out there to help you. Now, is it yeah. possible to have someone both with the power of attorney for property and also for your welfare? Yes, um, it is probably uh, it is possible to have the same attorney for those roles, but it's really really important to consider that the personal skills required to look after someone's personal care and welfare are, com- are really different from those needed to look after someone's financial affairs, which usually requires some business knowledge. Um, and if you have that one shining star that has all of those <laughs> all of those capabilities, <laughs> well, it seems to yeah. me, Alicia, that, that this starts with a conversation, right? Yeah. It might. Uh, for many people be something of an afterthought or just sort mm. of a pro forma thing they think oh look you know um you know i've got a, a, a healthy daughter that would do the job just as well but if you want to do that you should probably have that conversation because Definitely. it would i imagine it places a deal of responsibility on the people who have that power yep. um you want to be clear that they're comfortable with exercising it in the way that you would like them to so oh definitely massive massive responsibility on the person so yeah now we've discussed mental incapacity uh, and we should probably break that down a little bit further because it's an important aspect of all of this Yes, um, it is quite possibly the most important aspect of it. Um, so the purposes, um, the, for, the, for the purposes of being a personal care welfare um, and property attorney, the donor is considered mentally incapable if they are unable to do the following. So make any decisions about their personal care or welfare, um, understand the decisions about their personal care or welfare, um, foresee the foresee the consequences of decisions about their personal care and welfare or the consequences of failing to make those decisions so they're unable to really just make those long those stepping connections um, and they're unable to communicate decisions about their personal welfare uh, for the property um, enduring power of attorney a donor is mentally incapable if they can't completely they're not completely competent to manage their own property affairs um, it's an assessment, a mental capacity assessment done by a mental health practitioner or by the court. So it's not just some random person saying, oh, no, that's not right. Yeah, yeah because that, that's another potential area of, mm-hmm. of problem of manipulation, isn't it? If someone Definitely. 
you know, wants to quickly get their hands on uh, on mum or dad's property. Uh, yes. I'm not suggesting that that's happening no. r- at all commonly, but it, it is something that arises mm-hmm. from time to time. There needs to be an independent assessment, and it's the most important one, as you say, yep. of uh, of when that power kicks in. Yep. Um, so the process, how do we make these things happen? Right, so there's a specific form, witness, and signing requirements for creating um, enduring power of attorneys that kind of go beyond Will's requirements. Um, You have to make sure that the documents are well drafted and that the formal requirements are met, because if they're not, then the the enduring power of attorney just isn't valid. Um, And that's a whole other kettle of fish. Uh, And so it's really important to get a lawyer involved to help you with this process. While... We at the Community Law Centre can provide you general information about power of attorneys. It's really beyond the scope of our services to really set up those power of attorneys. Um, We can definitely guide you through them, um, help you answer some questions, but really when you get down to the nuts and bolts of it, you need to see a lawyer. So for some people, they might not have made a connection with a lawyer. No. Um, What should they be looking for? Is there a particular area of expertise if we're going to a lawyer's firm Mm -hmm. to to get this done? Yeah, so family lawyer is who you're looking for. Um, If you're unsure, you don't know who to to see, come to Community Law. We have quite a long list of family lawyers that would happily refer you to um, and that we trust we they and family lawyers are specialists and they can help you with creating the um, creating it changing it and cancelling um, power of attorneys and also just to if you want to educate yourself a little bit more the community law manual is incredibly well it's a great resource really um, on this information it's really really easy to read it takes out all the really heavy legal jargon and it breaks it down for everybody to understand um, and really for what you are signing up for and what you're doing Um, and it covers really everything we did today so where can we find it just online it is available and free at our um, community law website communitylaw.org.nz fantastic Lisa thank you so much for bringing that to us today really really important discussion to have now Uh, it's probably as important as the one you have around setting up your will isn't it yes definitely best case scenario is you arrange all of this before it becomes a critical issue in your life right definitely Uh, We look forward to another edition of Speak Legal with uh, Community Law Otago next week. Thank you. Community Law Otago, free legal advice and support for the people of Otago. Visit our weekday advice clinics at 169 Princess Street, Dunedin. Clinic session times are available from the website communitylawotago.com. Ring 474-1922 or 0800-169-333 if calling from outside Dunedin. Speak Legal is made with support from the Law Faculty, University of Otago, Training for Life. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.